0: You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Good morning, Praxis Church. Good to see you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name's Josh, the pastor here. Big, warm welcome to you. Hopefully on your way in, you got one of our Proverbs study guides. If you didn't, there's some on the table out there. I encourage you to go grab one of those. You're going to need it. And uh, a Bible as well. If you have your Bible, go ahead, open that up or turn your device on, whatever you use. And I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son as we've just been singing this great grace, the love that you had towards us and that um, was displayed and put on display for us in Christ coming in order to live the life we couldn't, to give the life we didn't deserve by taking the consequences that we did deserve to take. And um, this is a scandalous grace that you've extended towards us, and we're in awe. And I'm also just in awe that you, the God of the universe, speak through your word to us. You instruct us. You've given us your word, which you said is, um, for the building up of ourselves that so that we might be equipped, lacking in nothing. And we pray this morning as we open Proverbs and we continue to study through it that you would shape our mind. And through the transforming of our mind, our lives would be changed as well um, into ones that... Uh, honor you more fully, but that um, and you just give us wisdom to handle all of the, the different facets and areas of life that we encounter in our day-to-day lives. And thank you that you, the God of the universe, have spoken to us. I pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> yeah, we are continuing on in the book of Proverbs uh, in our quest for wisdom, wisdom that we can apply in our everyday lives, the different areas of our life where we need it. And we all do need it. We all need wisdom. Um, Even if we've grown very wise over the course of our life, we never stop actually needing wisdom. I'm going to paraphrase someone that I heard once uh, and kind of put it all together. It goes like this. It says, In the ocean of wisdom, the larger our island of knowledge becomes, so too does our shoreline of ignorance also become larger. The larger the island of knowledge comes, the larger the the shoreline of ignorance. I like this quote because it says... Um, A, we're never going to stop needing wisdom. You're just going to discover more and more and more as you go along that you actually need a lot more wisdom. Some of us, we forget this, and we might be ignorant of what, like, we don't know what we don't know. Then you get there, and you're like, I never knew that. And then surely, if that's true, then there's all sorts of things ahead of us that we don't even know we don't know at this point in our life, but we need wisdom for. That's why I like that quote. And, you know, if we can't admit this ignorance... We're never going to get to a place where we actually go and seek wisdom for it. Uh, Proverbs says this. It says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. If you don't think you need wisdom, you won't go in search of it. And Proverbs says there's more hope for a fool than that person. Here's something that I know is true of every single person in this room today. We need wisdom. It's just whether or not we know we do and where we need wisdom. Proverbs is the perfect book to come to in our perpetual and continual search for wisdom. It was written by Solomon to his son in order that he would be trained up in wisdom, but it's not just written by Solomon to his son. It's written by our Heavenly Father. This is his word to us for the same purpose, that we might be trained up, we would be wise, and that this wisdom would unpack and, and, and form and shape every part of our life. Over and over throughout the book of Proverbs, there's um, quotes, there's different um, verses that will say something to the effect of, listen, my son, hear me, my son, obey me, my son, because this is what God and this is what Solomon want. They want to present wisdom that would come into our minds and transform our lives, not just um, change our thinking, but change our life. And if we want to grow wise, we need to do these two things. We need to hear wisdom, but we need to heed wisdom it just comes into our head, if the words just come in, that doesn't make us wise. It needs to transform our lives. And actually, where we're going to go today is we're going we're to see that those, the wisdom that comes into us by words needs to come out through our words as well. We're looking at just that. Wisdom for words this morning. And if you're a note-taker, at the back of that book you got on the way in, um, this is, there's a space for notes. This is our three points. This is how we're going to kind of walk through this topic and the wisdom presented in Proverbs this morning. First is we're going to look at the origin of words. Then we're going to look at danger of words, instruction of words. But we're going to begin right there in the origin of words. Because if we want to be wise with our words, we need to go to the one who made words. And actually, the one who made everything by his words. God. The very first verses in the book of Genesis, if you were with us last year, we went through it, but you'll remember Genesis 1 verse 3 begins with the creation account and God speaking. God spoke. Um, This is noteworthy. The very first occurrence of words wasn't with man, it was with God. And the fact that we speak points to the fact that we were made by God, not animals. So we don't chirp like birds, we don't bark like dogs. Most of us Don't grunt like apes. We're like God. We talk, and we talk about all sorts of things, this and that. Some of us talk a little. Some of us talk a lot. Some of us can't stop talking. Words are all throughout our days. They're everywhere, and this is why we need wisdom for our words. The ability to speak is is something that we share with the God of the universe, and the way that we use our words should be a reflection of that fact. When we open our mouths, what comes out shouldn't be animalistic, carnal. It should be more in line, um, closer to something that's divine. Because we were created in God's image, and God's words have a a certain thing that they do. God created by speaking the world into into existence. And after he spoke and everything came into being, you can go read through this in Genesis 1. After each thing that he spoke, he said, this was good. And it was good. And herein lies our problem. (laughs) And that a lot of the things that come out of our mouths aren't good. They fail to reflect reflect our creator. They reflect someone else. So in Genesis 1, we saw God speak and then him say, it was good. And then in Genesis 3, that ancient serpent called the devil, he comes down and he speaks and undoes what God has done the good things that God has done. He speaks and you could not call it good. It's not very good. It's actually very bad. Those cursed words that he spoke, the contra-opposites of God that undid rather than created, we're still experiencing the effects of those today, right through to today. And this only serves to validate something that Proverbs says in Proverbs 18. It says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. I like how Um, The New Living Translation words it here. It says, No tongue, or sorry, the tongue can bring death or life. One or the other. Those who love to talk are going to reap its consequences. We are, and we do, and we, even presently, are experiencing the outcomes of our words. Our words have an effect, and we do, and we will reap the consequences. Our words are producing an outcome. The only question is, who are we reflecting with our words? Who are we reflecting with our words? God, whose words build up, or Satan, whose words tear down? God, who speaks truth, or the serpent, who speaks lies? There's so many proverbs here that speak to uh, the ways we can use words. Proverbs 12:18 it says there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's many many proverbs that will juxtapose these two different ways you can use your tongue. Proverbs 12 says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. Those who tell the truth are his delight. The proverbs 10:21 the lips of the righteous nourish many. Proverbs 11:9 with his mouth The godless man destroys his neighbor. There's two things we can do. Life or death are in the power of the tongue. So the question we need to ask is, what are our words accomplishing? Who are we reflecting with our words? Who do we reflect with our words? If you came here with a roommate or a spouse, you can ask them right now, who do I reflect with my words? A couple nervous chuckles. (laughs) Fun car rides home. Paul Tripp, he wrote a great book called War for Words. Or war, war of the words. War of words. War for words. I don't know. It's a good book. Paul Tripp, a book on words. In that book, I read it years ago. Forgive my memory. He said this. He said, um, we've never spoken a neutral word in our life. We've never spoken a neutral word in our life. He says this because all our words have a movement to them, have a trajectory to them. All of them are having an effect. They're either building up or they're tearing down. They're either reflecting God or the serpent. There's a movement to every word that we speak, either towards life or death. And this is the trouble with our talk, is that if you're like me, a lot of my words have had terrible effects. Our tongues... For many in the room have served more as instruments of death than instruments of life. All of them are... Some of us are using words regularly to bring life and or death into the situations around us. Many of us, were living out the effects of that. Maybe in our social circles, maybe in our workplaces, maybe in our family, maybe with our spouse, maybe with our kids. We're living out the effects of these death words that we've been speaking. We speak words they have an effect and the proverb says those who love to talk are going to reap the consequences of their talk talk matters and in christian circles we can often think of these as like little sins we think of like adultery uh, fornication we put all these other things way up there you know those are the serious sins this is just just talk the problem is the Bible doesn't think of talk as this small, lesser sin. It's a, it's a very serious matter, and it's addressed very seriously in the Bible. Take a look at this. Proverbs 6 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Look at this. Of the seven things listed, three of them have to do with the tongue. One of them to do with your face, haughty eyes. So maybe corresponds with some of the words you've been using. We cannot underestimate this. Words have an effect, and we're likely... Walking out the effects of some of our words. Some of us, we might be carrying the pain of words that others have spoken over us. How many here? You know, somebody's spoken a word over you, maybe an old friend, maybe a boss, maybe an enemy, maybe your family, maybe your parents. A word so hard, you're still feeling its effects. You're good for nothing. I can't stand you. You're so stupid perhaps something far more insidious. How many are feeling the effects of those words? I think we've all been stung, For honest. We've all been stung by words at some point, and we're also all guilty of having stung others with our words, failing to honor God with our words, failing to reflect him and, and speak like him, tearing down and partnering with the serpent rather than God. If you take a second and... Just think of the situations where we're most prone to this. We all probably have an area where it comes out more. What's that for you? Maybe that's interacting with your in laws. Maybe that's an annoying coworker. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's your kids. Where does this come out? No one's batting 100. You're in good company. We're all failing here. Where are we most prone? If you're feeling brave, you could ask somebody close to you, hey, where do I, where am I most prone to fail in my language? If you want to get serious about killing our sin, we might want to enlist the help of a partner at some point because change requires intention and change requires identification. You can't change something you don't know is there. In the same way, you're not going to end up in a destination you don't buy a ticket to. You're not going to change... The way you use your words in an area that you don't identify. Matthew 12, Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be contemned. This leads us into our second point, which is the danger of our words. There is a danger We're going to have to give an account. Some of us are living out the effect of our words. One day we're going to stand before our maker and we're going to give an account for every word that's come out of our mouth. And so Proverbs provides a clear warning. In fact, it gives seven. I've read through Proverbs. I've pulled up every verse, again, that has to do with words. And I took a look at all of the warnings and what I see is seven types of warnings. The first is this, about speaking without listening. Talking over someone, not really hearing them, just kind of... Speaking with, without hearing, I, when I think of this, um, I go to the gym, you can probably tell, um, and at the gym, there's this group of guys who, who go into the steam room after, or into the, the hot tub, and their conversations, um, I can't help but overhear, they, they get in there and they talk about whether electric cars are good or bad and local politics and provincial politics and whether COVID is real or it isn't real. And nobody's listening. No one listens. I think they go home and they collect a whole bunch of information. And just before one person's finished talking, the next person's talking, the next person's talking. It's the worst thing. They just like verbally diarrhea on each other. And maybe I'm sitting with my words right now. I, I don't know. But the thing with this that strikes me is that they're not really listening. And if you're not really listening, it's not really a conversation. You're not really reacting or interacting with what somebody else is saying. You're just like grabbing the talking stick over and over and over. It's, it's funny to watch, but it's also a little convicting to me when I, when I watch it because I'm like, oh man, I think I'm guilty of that too. Proverbs addresses this. It says, to answer before listening is folly and shame. So it's not just to, to talk over somebody else. It's To talk without having even thought about. To answer without listening is folly and shame. We have no hope of acting wisely if we're not considering our words and just kind of spewing everything that comes into our mind. And this is why James, the brother of Jesus, said, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. gives a second warning, which is of lack of discretion in... Chapter 29, it says this. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than him. In chapter 10, verse 19, it says, When words are many, transgression's not lacking. So it's, if you talk a whole bunch, you're going to sin a whole bunch. It's just how it works. And so we got to start to kind of regulate what we say. Um, and it's this here, this one, this lack of discretion, it's not talking just about talking too quickly. It's, it's about sharing more than needs to be shared, saying more than needs to be shared or said. Proverbs 26, I love this. It's not on the screen, but Proverbs 26 describes somebody who talks too much and shares too much as um, being like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. So poetic, it's good. A maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. That's somebody who just doesn't... Whatever comes into the mind comes out of the mouth. But Proverbs 13, it says, He who opens his his lips comes to ruin. We need to exercise restraint because loose lips sink more than ships. They sever friendships. They shatter families. They sabotage trust. And in many cases, they've split entire churches. Just because we think it doesn't mean we should say it. Just because you know something doesn't mean you should share it. Just because it's true doesn't mean you should share it either. It can still be gossip and truth. 10 verse 8 in Proverbs says, A babbling fool will come to ruin the third thing it warns against is blunt frankness, referring to words that are said in just kind of a needlessly sharp way. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says, A sharp word stirs up anger. There's basically, there's nicer ways you could have said it, but instead the decision gets made to kind of weaponize some words in order to hurt people, for honest. We've probably all done this. We've certainly been the recipient of that or know somebody who who speaks like this, things are said in a way that are intentionally meant to kind of, to jab us. I've already put the, quoted the verse, but I'll put it up. It says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. That's what it's talking about. Words are weaponized. Proverbs eighteen six. it says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Why? Because he's weaponized his words. He picks fights with his words. His mouth is inviting a beating. Because he's needlessly, or there, or he or she is needlessly blunt and rude, and the outcome of the words couldn't possibly do anything other than offend somebody. Blunt frankness. Fourth thing it warns against is lying and exaggeration, um, departing from the truth with our words, and it could be done for a couple different reasons to either kind of cover our guilt, make ourselves look different. Um, absolve us of guilt, exaggerate details, kind of like the fishing stories, in order to make ourselves look better. This is what um, Proverbs calls lying and exaggeration. A few verses on this. It says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because God's words are truth. Next verse. A false witness won't go unpunished. And he who breathes out lies will not escape. God said he's going to punish people who speak lies just as he's going to punish Satan for his words that are not true. Proverbs 12 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. Telling one lie will often just lead to having to tell another and another to kind of maintain the facade that you erected with your your first lie. Telling the truth is the only thing that results in not having to spin some sort of a web for the rest of your life to keep it up. Fifth category of warning that Proverbs provides is against secret telling. Proverbs seventeen nine says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Telling someone's secret or revealing information we, we know that others don't, it can, it can make us feel like we're in the know, make us feel powerful, Make us feel, you know, important, but there is a great danger to it, and, and as well, it does a lot of harm. To quote the office, secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. <laughs> Proverbs, though, says this. It says <laughs> Glad someone else found that funny. God says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. God takes it seriously, and He's gonna punish secret telling. Proverbs Many, many verses about this, but Proverbs 11, 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy keeps a thing covered. Notice that, he keeps a thing covered. A trustworthy person doesn't tell, and we need to remember that when we're telling a secret. We might not be telling it in the earshot of an individual, but we are telling it within earshot of the God of the universe, and he says he's going to punish this type of activity. And this flows naturally into our sixth point, which is slanderous speech, referring to words that defame someone's character, whether or not they're true. Catch that. That's what slander is. It's not just defaming someone's character when it's not true. It could be true as well. Proverbs 10.18 says, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Proverbs 11:9 we read with his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Look at notice this too on this verse. The person who slanders and cuts down the other person, how is it, how are they described? Godless. Why? Because the God of the universe doesn't do that with his words over us. For Christians, the God of the universe has spoken forgiveness over us despite our sins, despite our blasphemies. When we go out and we try to can't like, and take our pound of flesh from someone else. We just completely fail to honor or, or, or reflect our God in the way that he speaks. Therefore, that's, the proverb describes them as godless. Seventh category is against disingenuous speech, referring to instances where somebody says something they don't really mean. Saying, kind of saying something with a smile, one way, while, something else is actually brewing on inside. Um, there's a good verse on this here. It says, "Like the glaze cl- covering in an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Just a glaze, a shellac, kind of this varnished exterior. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though, though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. It's referring to the day of judgment. There's warning here because there is a way that we can use our words that's dangerous. There is a warning because we're going to give an account for our words. And there's a warning because there is a right way that we are supposed to use our words. And this leads us into our third point, note takers, which is instruction for our words. Proverbs speaks not just how not to speak, but how to speak as well. Often, I've already said this, the same proverb will juxtapose, uh, juxtapose a correct way of speaking and a false way or, or, or a wrong way or a sinful way um, because it's not just pointing out danger, it's providing instruction for us and the use of our words as well. There's many verses on this. Um, again, I've tried to categorize them to make them a little bit more accessible, and I've broken them down into three categories or three ways we can exercise wisdom with our words. The first kind of set of instruction or how-to positive affirmative commands that Proverbs would give us with regards to our words is to restrain our mouths diligently. Here, take a look at these verses. "'When words are many, transgression is not lacking.'" but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Just close your mouth is what it's saying. Next verse. Those who guard their lips preserve their life, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Again, reminding us there's a consequence for our words in this life and the life to come, so just zip your lips. Next verse. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise wise man... Quietly holds it back. We're to restrain our words, guard our lips, hold our tongues. And here's the benefit, Proverbs 17, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. As he closes lips, he's deemed intelligent. Close your mouth. It makes you look like you're pontificating. Makes you appear wise to those outside of you. All sorts of junk might be going on here. You close your mouth. Hmm makes you look like you're deeply pondering. (laughs) If you struggle with your words, a couple practical ways you could apply this piece of wisdom this week. Try closing your mouth and just make a face like you're thinking about what the person said. And And then do this, think about what the person said. It's really helpful. That's like marriage hack there, guys. That tip alone might get you a date. Second thing you could do, though, if you want to practically apply this, instead of responding, just say this. Let me think about that for a little bit. Let me think about that for a little bit. Practical ways we could apply this this command to just restrain our mouths diligently. At the very least, you're going to appear wise, but it might help some stupid from falling out, too. Second thing Proverbs tells us is to choose our words wisely. Take time. Think about how we want to respond. And if we can't say it without being angry, if we can't say it without our emotions spilling out, if we can't say it without yelling, just don't say it yet. Go back to step one, zip your mouth. Quiet. Ponder. Think about how you might want to speak. Again, I've quoted it, but I'll put it again. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. How many... Other than me, you're guilty of your words doing that. Look at what it says. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. That should be our goal. Again, our words are not neutral, so we need to pause long enough to decide whether we, what we want our words to accomplish, and then think for a minute and go, are my words accomplishing that? Or you know, maybe you want them to be sword thrusts. Hopefully not. Okay, but if you take time, you could sharpen your sword. Hopefully in that amount of time, the Lord and the Spirit's going to do some work inside of you, and we could we could temper our words, and they could actually be healing words by the time they come out of our mouth. Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. So should we choose our words, or we should, pardon me, choose our words wisely. And then there's a third set of instruction that we... Uh, We see in Proverbs, which is to speak then our words carefully. It says this. Proverbs 12, I believe, should be up on the screen. There we go. 15. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Think about how we want to respond and then speak our words carefully. Once our words are out, they're out. We can't take them back. We can't say, whoops, didn't mean to say that. They're not neutral. They're having an effect. Proverbs 17, 14, it says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Once the words come out, they're having an effect. Anyone here, you've ever broken a dam before? Ian, you broke a dam too. I want to hear your story later. I've broken a dam as a kid. I remember um, there was this big earth dam restraining kind of all the runoff coming down the mountain behind my house one year, and I was up there with my G.I. Joes playing, and I carved a little channel in the dirt and made, like, a a little river that eventually just washed this whole dam out. And it all came flooding down into my friend's house. And this is what Proverb is saying. Starting a quarrel like that. You might feel like, I'm just gonna let a little slip out here. But that's not what happens. It just keeps coming and coming, and eventually, have you ever ended up in these situations? You said one thing, pretty soon, two hours later... You're in this whole conversation or a full-on fight because you said the one thing. Anyone else? You're liars. I know you guys. (laughs) We're wise. We need to speak our words carefully and then just don't speak them at all if they're going to make things worse. Spare ourselves the needless self-abuse. Close our mouths. Choose our words carefully, and then decide whether they need to be spoken at all. Think about who we're speaking to. There's a a quote, I hope if I can remember, it's not in my notes, um, from Little House on the Prairie. Lori Ingall said this. If wisdom's ways you wisely seek, five things observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and what and where. Did I get that right? Any homeschool moms? (laughs) I think that's it, right? We need to consider where we're speaking these things and to whom we're speaking, right? We might be talking to a fool and then just save your words. Actually, Proverbs 23.9 says, don't speak to fools. They'll scorn your prudent words. We need to get good at this. Restraining our words, choosing our words, speaking. But if we're ever gonna get to step three, it's gonna start with us becoming masters at step one, which is just zipping our mouths. Saying nothing. And so, just a really practical challenge for us this week. Here's a challenge, okay? This week, find a moment. It's going to happen. I promise you. Find a moment and don't say something you feel like saying. If you want extra marks, try doing this every day. Because every day, there's moments that we shouldn't say anything at all. And, And then just close your mouth and pontificate and get wise points. Try it. This is a vital practice if we are going to heed the call of wisdom. Words need wisdom because they're serious business. And Proverbs has much to say about how we can grow in wisdom with our words. I want to point one other thing out with regards to words that Jesus said uh, that's going to be very important for us to notice here in Luke 6. We read Jesus saying this, No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Catch this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where does Jesus say words come from? The heart. Notice what he says. Jesus says the words that come out of our mouth were first in our hearts. Our word problems are heart problems. Our word problems are heart problems. The mouth is the overflow valve of the heart. What the heart gets full of comes out of the pressure release valve on the pressure release container, which is our mouth. If we want to be wise, we, we need to get better at tightening the pressure release valve. That would be wise. But we also need to deal with the pressure. We need to deal with everything that's pushing up, trying to come out. Jesus said apple trees don't bear peaches. If it produces peaches outwardly, it's because inwardly it's a peach tree. And likewise, if we're bearing the fruit of anger or sharp words or rudeness or disrespect or... Slander or whispering secrets, it's actually reflective of what's inside of us. We might blame our word problems on the people or the situations, but Jesus blames them on something else. What comes out of our mouth is already inside of our hearts. If you got your Bibles, James, flip over there, James 3. I'm gonna read from here. The brother of Jesus, James picks up and speaks to this as well. The power of the tongue. He says, look at the ships. Though they're very large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The hell that burns inside of us sometimes comes out and starts forest fires. The, the fire, James says, that is within us has actually been ignited by hell itself, and it's in our chest. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people. Some of you on the way here this morning to bless the Lord, were cursing one another in the car. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not, should not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Who's that? That's Jesus in the verse we just read. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is a bit of a hard end to a sermon on words. Because I just gave us three pieces of practical advice from Proverbs about how we should restrain our words. Then Jesus says, the problem's much deeper than just our tongues. And Jesus' brother says dealing with the source of our word problem is actually something that we're completely powerless to do. We can't change our insides. We're not the solution to our word problems. He says it's a restless evil no man can tame. Now, does that mean we just kind of sit back and let her buck then? No, wisdom dictates that we should restrain our words. But we need to deal as well with the source of our word problem, which involves coming to someone who can help us with our heart problem. And there is one person uniquely equipped to help us with both our words and our hearts. That's Jesus. In John 1, Jesus is called the Word of God. A little earlier this fall, there was a sermon on this, John 1. There you find Jesus described as the Word of God. This is because, as John says there, Jesus was with God in the beginning when he spoke everything to an existence. After Satan spoke and his words and God's good creation kind of came unraveling, John tells us God sent his son into the world to save the world. It says Jesus is the Word of God that became flesh. Jesus is the word of God that created, came to speak again, a message that would undo the sinful effects of the serpent's words and reconcile and restore his creation. The voice that created everything came down into the muck that resulted from Satan's words and he spoke again in order to do this, to recreate, to recreate. God's words spoke creation into existence. Satan's words brought sin into existence. Jesus' words have brought redemption reconciliation and renewal back into the world, which means this, church, we have hope for our word problem. It's not just that we get Jedi-level good at restraining our tongue, because even if we could restrain it, it would all be going on in our hearts. All that schmeg would still be going on inside of here. Jesus offers hope not just for our words, but for our heart. And so if you're here and you have been wounded, By the words others have spoken over you, Jesus speaks a better word. He says that you're not whatever anyone else has called you. He says that you're a son and daughter of the Most High God. You're forgiven for the sinful ways you've used your words. Jesus died, the Word of God became flesh to die and take the consequences for that, so He could speak this over you. You're forgiven. But he does more than just forgive for the garbage dump that is our heart. To those that are in Christ, he gives a new heart that despises its sinfulness and and gives us the Holy Spirit to help change it. Ezekiel says this. We see prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit. There we read God saying, I will put my spirit within you and catch this, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This changes the game. We're not just trying to restrain our tongues. We are to keep coming back to Jesus as the one who renews our heart, who's put his Holy Spirit in us, who is called the helper. He helps us in putting on the new righteous standing we have before God. The Holy Spirit unpacks in our life. We are justified by the Father through Jesus, and we're sanctified... Through the Holy Spirit, working in partnership with our own effort to combat our tongues, he does what we can't do. He comes and changes our heart. In Christ, we have been given a new heart. And this heart still inhabits a sinful fallen world. So we're never going to not be sin, In fact, or never have sin. In fact, the scripture says, if anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar, and the truth isn't in him. We're always going to have sin entangling us. But if the Holy Spirit's in us, the the goal and and what should take place is that every day we're putting our, our sin to death more and more and more. Why? Because our heart's being renewed. Because we're being renewed in the image of our maker. Church, words are important. God is the speaker of words and he's made us to be able to speak words as well. And in our speaking, our job is to use words in the same way now and for the same reasons that he does. As we've been recreated and renewed, we're to renew the way we use our language and model our our speech after our Heavenly Father. Our words should build up, not break down. They should heal, not hurt. They should tell truths, not lies. They should help, not hinder. They should reflect God in his character and not the serpent in his. They should speak life into the world and renewal into the world the same way God's words did and Jesus words did and so with that the band's going to come up and as we move into a time of response I want us to do this I want us to just ask and consider confess our own sinfulness in with this area with regards to our speech before we come and take communion today I want to challenge us with something before we come and take the bread and dip it into the wine or the juice this this that is a symbol and a picture of Christ's body and blood, the word of God. Before we come, take the body and blood of the one who's called the word of God and put it in our mouths. Take a second, consider the words that have come out of ours. Don't run up to take communion today. The communion servers aren't going anywhere. Take, some, take a minute or two, examine your hearts. Join me in doing that. Pause, consider And as the Spirit brings these areas to mind, as he's been doing for me all week, come boldly and take communion and celebrate because in Christ we have forgiveness. We find one who's described as being faithful and just and able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're feeling the sting of condemnation of your own words, come and take it and celebrate because Christ has died To cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not just forgive it, to cleanse it. Come and take that in faith, and then let's respond in praising the name of Jesus and rejoicing over that great truth together. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, I, along with everyone in this room, just confess that I have fallen so short that my words in countless times have failed to reflect you failed to to emulate your words the words that you've spoken over me in creation in recreation in forgiveness and salvation my my words have went out and damned rather than healed they've torn down rather than built up and if 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 i get what i have coming as a result of that this is a, this, i'm in trouble I thank you in Christ we have one who the word of God became flesh to come speak a better word over us and that we can come boldly and with great confidence before the throne because he stood in our place and took the consequences for that. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, we would go out and reflect your words into the world, words that build up, encourage, words that line up with you, the first speaker of words spirit I invite you to come and examine our hearts and then i pray that you just give us a deep sense of assurance of salvation as we celebrate communion and worship in our time of response in your great name jesus i pray amen